0: This is A New Angle, a show about cool people doing awesome things in and around Montana. I'm your host, Justin Angle. This show is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. Hey folks, welcome back, and thanks for tuning in. Today is our July edition of Incentives and Instincts, a recurring series in which I speak with economist and friend Bryce Ward about some of the broader challenges facing our society. Bryce, how are you today? I'm feeling pretty good, Justin. Feeling pretty good, Midsummer is here. Um, you know, you and I talk a, a lot about problems in this series and it's important to not lose sight of the many good things that are indeed happening. And right now, a lot of things are improving. We're making progress on crime, inflation, labor force participation, household net worth, and debt. Yet it remains tempting to believe that everything is awful. Bryce, let's take these in order. Violent crime and murder in particular are dropping at a um, steep rate this year, at least the recent data that's been pulled together. Yeah, what's happening in in violent crime right now?
1: It takes a long time to get the official statistics, but there are some cities that report them in real time. And there are researchers who then track those cities in real time. So for a set of like 90-some cities... Uh, we can see exactly where we're at year over year and,
0: and does that include like some of the bigger cities yeah, that people think of when we think of the state of crime in the country Yeah
1: yeah you know those things drive a lot of the you know sure. our perceptions of crime if not necessarily always the the reality of crime the median for this set is it's down 12%. It's a lot, you know. It's still higher than it was pre-COVID, but Mm -hmm. it's, you know, after the spike up, it's a big spike down. Yeah. And in some places it's down, you know, a ton, you know, and in some places it's still going up. But, you know, in the past, this has been a reliable indicator of what we'll see when we get the real data next year or whenever we get it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's it's certainly an indication that normally crime drifts down, but this is like a big up, big down. It's a little bit, you know, anomalous in terms of what we tend to see yeah, as is in th-
0: crime data, yeah. but the spike was also anomalous. Right. The pandemic was a weird time and, and it just sort of coincided with the George Floyd murder and the associated protests and so forth. So a lot was in the tinderbox at that stage. And is that kind of the leading candidate for explanations is that, we hey, we had this weird spike and it's going to be mirrored with a weird decline?
1: We never really understand crime. We don't yeah.
0: really understand why it spiked
1: up so much. Um, and therefore, we don't probably don't really understand why it's coming down so much. Uh, I think the leading hypotheses are a mix of things. Yeah. So first, yeah, we're renormalizing ourselves post-COVID. I think it's easy to underestimate just how much psychological weirdness came with sure. restrictions and masking and isolation and all that kind of stuff. But there are some potential policy explanations, right? police officers or police departments have been re-engaging. Uh, they've been changing strategies. They've been, you know, they've been responding to the problem. Sure. And this is why it's hard to ever explain it is when violent crime spikes up, generates a response, even if that spike was driven by some underlying transitory shift in society. So now we have two things happening at the same time and makes it, or actually more than two, but yeah, you know, makes it
0: hard to then say, well, why is this one? Why is it going down? And a lot of motivated reasoning in the commentary around it. So like a, as an economist with the skills in data analysis, you must sort of enjoy being able to try to derive some signal from all the noise out there yeah
1: that's what you're trying to and that's where you know ultimately to the extent that anyone's going to answer the question they will take advantage of the fact that it's not going down at the same rate everywhere and Mm -hmm. try and then parse out that but then you know there's always idiosyncratic things right like you know uh, memphis had a high profile it was memphis had a high profile some form of thing that led to a bunch of protests and you know and memphis has had higher crime now uh, higher violent crime this year um, so, you know, so there's some things that kind of happen. You know, so it's harder to kind of ultimately parse all of it out. But there are a lot of people who study crime, and presumably, we'll get at least their attempts at answers over the next few years.
0: Yeah. Do we have any clues as of yet? You said police were changing some of the ways they were engaging the problem. Do we have any idea some of the leading strategies that that appear to show promise at this stage?
1: At least some of what's been talked about was police also responded during COVID and maybe also to the protests by not enforcing as much. So Mm -hmm. there's just a return to some enforcement, you know, there's pushing to try and, you know, like, let's enforce all of the stuff or whatever it is. And so you know I, I that that's one thing that I have seen. Sure. I think it will take a lot longer for us to really unpack it. And then you know and look, you know, we should be clear, right? This is based on 5 months of data. Yeah. yeah. Uh, too early to really you know, know much, you know. And so we'll hopefully it continues to fall uh, over the rest of the year and we yeah. end up somewhere closer to where we were pre-pandemic, but you know, there's still a little ways to go even with the 12% decline over the first 5 months.
0: Encouraging regardless of why at this point. Yeah. I mean, violent crime is bad. Yeah. We don't want it. We don't want it. Yeah. Um, second thing, inflation. We want some. We still have probably more than we want. And inflation was up as high as 8 9% year over year. We've seen that come back to earth a little bit. Where is it now and why is this maybe happening?
1: We've got a million different... Numbers that (laughs) get thrown around, right? We just look at straight up headline inflation. It got up to 9%. It's now close to 4%. The recent Federal Reserve Board minutes and the stuff that accompanies that suggest that the Fed is expecting that over the next half of the year, it's going to be in the high threes. Yeah. And Um, this was the
0: first cycle the Fed made no change. Yeah. They took a break. quite a while. They took a break.
1: You know, so, you know, is that. Is that our 2% target? No. Mm-hmm. It's no longer the, the you know, if you go back a year, we were inflation was a big
0: deal. Yeah. People were super mad about it. It's like one of the primary pieces of the conversation heading into the midterm election.
1: 3.8% inflation is still probably too high, but it's kind of tolerable. Yeah, It's not outside the realm of like, oh yeah, we've never seen that before or we haven't seen it in a long time. And most importantly, at least in May, it was... At a level where wages actually grew faster,
0: yeah, and that's key. Wages needed to catch up if to real, some degree. If
1: real wages, if wages are growing faster, so real wages, inflation-adjusted wages are positive, then people are okay. I'm, I'm okay, right? It's you know, it was the two years of real wage declines, yeah. right? Where yeah, wages were going up, but inflation was going up by more,
0: right? Yeah, if consumers, you know, individual households and businesses with high rates of inflation, they can't plan as well for the future. They don't know what that future looks like necessarily. There's more uncertainty. It's more expensive. It's just harder to make long-term planning decisions under that regime.
1: Yeah, and, and we also feel bad because it doesn't match our expectations. Right. 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 Like you go to the grocery store or you go to the gas station, suddenly things are more expensive than what you think they yeah. should be. Yeah. And they're changing rapidly. That's when people start complaining, right? But when it's kind of like, you know, within a range of, okay, yeah, some things get more expensive, you know, things are kind of going up and they are, they're still going up at a rate that is unpleasant, mm-hmm. but it's half of what it was or less than half of what it was a year ago. You really noticed it a year ago. Yeah. You notice it between
0: shopping trips a year ago. But
1: yeah. And, and yeah. And, and in particular, like grocery inflation is basically zero right now. Gas prices are... Well within the normal range of what we're used to, mm-hmm. um, so the kind of the they're not the ones that ultimately drive the number, right, but, but they're the, the ones perception. that people that drive perception uh, are much more under control. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I think that there is some expectation that it will continue to drift down a little bit. At some point, we're going to have to face the well. How do we get the last percent or so? out of the out of the system if we really do want to get back to 2%. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, that seems like it's been a little harder. Anyway, right. you asked at some point, well, what's changed? And a lot of what's changed is, you know, uh, as we came out of COVID, or at least started getting vaccinated after COVID, you know, the supply chain was messed up. Yeah. You know, yeah. and uh, that was half of inflation, and a lot of those inflationary pressures have gone away. And mm-hmm. what's driving the most recent declines is, you know, we're also seeing housing prices stabilized. They're not going up, in, you know, and in some cases rents
0: are coming down. Yeah, and some of the supply um, has been able to catch up, building yeah. and so forth, you know, so- and then as you mentioned supply chain, I mean there's been some I, I don't I don't know if it's accurate to say deflationary categories, but you know, as businesses were trying to figure out their supply chains, some in some categories you know, overcorrected. So now you go into businesses and they have an overabundance of inventory and and that can put downward pressure on prices as well. You'll see more sales and more clearance items and so forth.
1: That's right. And so, you know, there's been a bunch of stuff that's kind of balanced out, normalized. It's no longer just like, oh, what's the crazy thing that there are still crazy things out there. And I don't mean to say that everything is hunky-dory. Relative to the acuteness of the crises that, we, you know, the series of crises that we've been living in for the past three years, we're back to a period where we're not just crisis to crisis to crisis. Right. And that's kind of what's, I think, motivating this topic is we're kind of looking around at things things that were really yeah. acute. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, we're just not, yeah, it's not great. Inflation at 4% is not great. But it's better than 8, 9. when it was seven, eight, nine, and going up, yeah. um, you know, that was really hard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's just do a couple quick hits on other things that seem to be going okay. Labor force participation rate is a number you track closely. That appears to be on the rise recently.
1: Uh, yeah. So, in particular for prime age adults, so 25 okay. to 54, that's so what we call the prime age. And, you know, it's fully recovered from the COVID downturn, it's above where it was in 2019. It's great. Uh, it's almost back to literally the record highs that we reached in the late 90s. There's still some issues, you know, in the above 55 labor force participation and maybe in the below 24 mm-hmm. or 25 labor force participation. It's strong. Labor
0: market is strong. There's
1: certainly no evidence of weakness there. And, you know, that means good things uh, for most people.
0: Yeah. People can change jobs. They can, you know, be more, they have more bargaining power as uh, as workers and so forth. Um, and that, you know, is maybe connected to some degree to the rise in net worth that we've Seen recently? You mentioned real wages before being moving in the right direction. So maybe these things coalesce to a little bit easier net worth. Um, well, yeah. I mean,
1: that's also partially the housing price. Housing up. prices, um, yeah. But yeah. So, you know, if you look at just even going back to the trends that existed before COVID and you just say, well, what, where would we be in terms of total household net worth? We are above where we expected to be at this point in time, we mm-hmm. are actually a little below where we were maybe a year or two ago. Okay. Um, but we're still up, right? We're still kind of on net above where if we had just kind of continued without a COVID shock, just continued on the trend that existed for many years beforehand, you know, we're, we're a slightly above trend in terms of net worth. And then we're below trend in the things that kind of are kind of the opposite of net worth debt, delinquency and debt, um, you know, mortgage delinquencies, credit card delinquencies, and some of these were kind of at the typical good times levels. Sure, uh, and some of them were below those levels, and some of them were, you know, were kind of right around the typical. But like, we're we're definitely not in a state of, you know, oh, it's the great recession and yeah. all that's elevated, or we're in some sort of you know crisis period. There's a margin of people who are struggling
0: more than is
1: typical or common during you know relatively
0: good times. We'll be back to our conversation with Bryce Ward after this short break. A New Angle is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and UM's College of Business. Access to capital, broadband, and education are three ingredients any community needs for success. Hey folks, on August 11th, A New Angle and The Right Question are teaming up for our first live event at the Wilma Theater. Justin and I will be helping the legendary David James Duncan launch his new novel Sunhouse, a book 16 years in the making. Lauren and I will chat with David. David will read, and renowned singer-songwriter Jeffrey Foucault will illustrate Sunhouse in music. In a dark hole. It's going to- Montana Public Radio presents this evening of story, song, and conversation, August 11th at the Wilmot Theater in Missoula. Get your tickets now at logjampresents.com. Hi, this is Sheila Stearns, Commissioner Emerita of the Montana University System and former president of the University of Montana. You are listening to one of my favorite podcasts, A New Angle. Welcome back to New Angle. I'm here with Bryce Ward discussing some of the more positive signs in our economy. And so, as we were preparing for this month's episode, I mean, yeah, we've been digging into some pretty meaty issues and some pretty grim issues. You know, why are Americans dying at higher rates? You know, other dysfunction in our society that we've been kind of covering in, in in an intensive way the last few months. We had a little bit of difficulty coming up with a topic. And I think that stems from our kind of difficulty, difficulty sort of remembering that some things are going well in society. And turns out that that effect that we sort of experience within ourselves is consistent with pretty robust finding recently. In psychology, a paper published in Nature showed that, I think overwhelmingly is a pretty accurate word to describe the findings, but a survey of over half a million people across 59 More. countries, 235 surveys show that in general, people think that humans are now less kind, honest, and ethical than they were in the past. It, and it kind of, I mean, there are a whole host of things that stream from that, but that's a pretty interesting finding.
1: Yeah, and you know, it's again these two hundred and thirty-five studies with half a million participants, it's like fifty-nine countries covering seventy some years. Yeah. So the you know, the this things were bet things used to be better, is I think the way they frame it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the golden age of the past is a human phenomenon in that we are constantly just primed to think that things today are terrible and they used to be better. And so it's, you know, it's kind of worth, and that's part of what motivates this episode was, you know, me just looking around and being like, you know, if I'm looking at the headlines in the news right now, they are pretty trivial.
0: Yeah. That's an interesting indicator, right? right? Like you mentioned the, all the attention that was paid to those folks lost in the submarine. now certainly a horrible thing and horrible tragedy, but I think you described it as Several rich folks doing something really dangerous.
1: Yeah. You know, kind of
0: what it was. Five people died doing something that's inherently
1: super dangerous. Yeah. You know, and it was the main story for days. That You know, that tells me that there's nothing pushing on that, right? <laughs> nothing pushing that off the nothing headlines. Nothing pushing that off the headlines. And we go through these periods, you know, all the time. But, you know, it's kind of, it's an indicator to watch, yeah. right? And then to check yourself and be like, look, again, there are always big, systemic, huge problems in the world. Uh, poverty, malaria, climate change, you know, these things that we try and work on and we try and make marginal progress to improve. Those are always going to be there. There are always nascent problems. Things that will happen are happening literally right now that in 20 years will be like, oh yeah, that was the thing. Um, Yeah, like
0: Bluetooth causing cancer? Yeah. I'm just planting that. uh, You never know. Well, AI, right? Like
1: that's the one that's dominating a lot of stuff right now. But like, you know, so there's always those. There's also then just the current acute crisis. Those are common. Mm-hmm. It is not uncommon to have acute crises. Now they vary in degree. But you know, these are, you know, I, the easiest ones is just natural, but like, you know, like natural disasters. And that's often how we're taught history
0: is yeah. crisis to crisis, crisis. crisis. war to war, natural disaster to natural disaster. These exist in our teaching of history oftentimes at the high school level is the sort of... That's what you do. It's just, it's, yeah, hinge points of our instruction. It,
1: what, what, what are the key dates? The key dates are when there was a war or where there was a recession or where there was a pandemic or, you know, so we just move from acute crisis to acute crisis. And some of them rise to the level that they will be in history books. Others do not, but they don't, you know, and they feel, but they feel significant in the moment. And again, we've basically been buttressed by acute crisis pretty much nonstop you know at least since March of 2020 there yeah, hasn't been a lot of hey things are pretty good mm-hmm. right there isn't an obvious thing for me to be immediately concerned about there's lots of obvious things for me to be concerned about on the nascent stuff and on yeah. the systemic big stuff but in terms of like oh there's an immediate thing that i need some sort of policymaker or some entity to be actively engaged in trying to manage, solve, whatever it is, yeah, we're kind of in a lull. And yet, again, survey after survey after survey says that right now, even right now, everything sucks.
0: Yeah. And and a couple of things there that really stood out. You know, when you read a finding like that, surveys telling, you know, researchers that People think we're in decline; that everything sucks; that people are worse today than they were prior. All this nostalgia. You know, one that that effect is robust across a different, a lot of different countries over a broad period of decades. The
1: earliest study is 1949.
0: Yeah, so over it's, it's a it's a robust sample, and it's easy when you hear that finding in general to sort of chalk it up to our current media environment, our current level of discourse, social media, political polarization, all those sorts of things. But those cannot be the sole explainer. I mean, maybe they contribute to the findings recently, but across 59 countries, those variables differ hugely and they differ, you know, across the time horizon of the study as well. So, so interesting that that generalizes in such a powerful way. The other thing that stood out to me is it's not consistent. Well, one, it's not consistent with the facts on the ground descriptively, but it's also not consistent with people's self-report of their own experience, right? In their own worlds, people self-report that, you know, things are generally getting better and that they're experiencing kindness among their neighbors and within their community so their view of this sort of nostalgia-based view of us in decline isn't cons- isn't squaring with people's own expressed opinions of their own lived experience.
1: Yeah, it's crazy, right? It's one of these fascinating things that the human brain is if you, you know, it's one thing if like I'm like, yeah, my life is bad, and then I extrapolate from that to my community is bad, sure. my society is bad, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But that's not what we find, right? We find overwhelmingly people think my life is actually okay. Something like ninety percent of Americans say they're happy, right? Yeah. You know, or some you know some form of happy, right? Mm-hmm. But if I ask you, well, what share of Americans are happy, you're gonna say fifty percent. Sure. Right? Or if you ask me, well, you know, how are you doing financially? I think two thirds, seventy percent say, yeah, I'm doing okay. At least okay. Some mm-hmm. say I'm thriving. You know, this kind of I'm fine, but everything is terrible is just, it's just so weird, but seemingly ubiquitously human. And it's not just now. And it's it's like, again, it, we, one thing for us to be like, I'm fine, but everything is terrible now. But it's things today are still better than they used to be. Sure. But this notion, this new layer of finding of we all just think that the past used to be better yeah. with no objective evidence. And worse, people will reject the evidence if you provide it. This is a different right. study from right. a while ago. Prior to the COVID run-up in crime, crime had plummeted mm-hmm. over the course of our life. Right? So from the early 80s through yeah, 2020 decline. it you know i mean half to a third depending on what you're looking at you know and you're or, or you know and in particular like you're asking are kids safe you know kids today are safer than they have i've you know injuries kidnap all that kind of stuff they are safer than they have ever been at least until very recently but when you try and present that evidence to people they just reject it yeah. they do not believe it yep. and, and that's fascinating you know and look the psychologists in the paper they have hypotheses for why sure. this is
0: you know we have a
1: short run negativity bias and a long run positivity bias and you know, we have a self
0: positivity yeah. bias as well yeah, and so a that might explain our 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 tendency to think we're doing okay yeah
1: but it's it's it has very interesting implications yeah. for what how are we supposed to design our media environment how are we supposed to design our institutions? How are we supposed to design our society if we can't be trusted to properly evaluate the world? It's you know it's hard to say. Well, then how are we supposed to manage things if we are constantly subject, or at least many of us are subject to this view that things used to be better but they weren't?
0: Yeah, it, it kind of is the first finding that to me in, in marketing it's pretty well established that negative marketing is not effective. It's better to promote your product and your value proposition than it is to tear down your opponent. Yet in political advertising, the opposite is is seen as as effective. Maybe not more perf- effective than positive messaging in, in politics. It's a little difficult to, to actually do those studies. This might explain how political messaging has morphed into and our elections in general have morphed into the the, every time you vote it's a choice of the lesser of two evils we're trying to we're trying to staunch the decline by avoiding the outcome we don't want the partisan brain is
1: very weird another study that just came out recently presented people with various news stories or whatever it was Mm -hmm. but they paid them to evaluate them so you got paid more if you evaluated it correctly, if it was true or false. Wow. And what they found was that when confront when when there's money on the line, people are massively better huh. at distinguishing truth from reality. So that dampens motivated reasoning. It dampens kind of motivated reasoning. At. And yet, when it comes to sharing things, the thing that gets me whatever reward I'm seeking in a social media environment... Mm-hmm. Is to share things, which it turns out that if you pay people, they know they're false. But if they're they if my co-partisans will like them, I will share them. Right. And so this is part of the problem, right? Is that we have this notion of we're operating on this human level of, yeah, I want, I want negative, right? You know, the negative, again, the negative isn't persuasive. It's that what a lot of the studies on social media have found is People like to hear negative things about their opponents. So it's Mm -hmm. not that I'm persuading you that this guy is a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just tapping into my own co-partisan's love of feeling superior to somebody else. Interesting. Yeah. uh, I think that's what's going on. Yeah. It's easy to weaponize my own bias towards nostalgia by talking about how great things used to be at some totally unspecified time with no actual empirical evidence of, you know, and people used to do this all the time, right? Like... When, when Donald Trump's running around saying, make America great again, you know, well, when was it great, right? There were questions. Right. People started to survey as well. When was it great, right? Sure. And then, you know, you throw out some period and then you would, you know, if you, just, if you go to that period and like pull up like newspapers.com and I say, well, let's look at that period. It wasn't right? so great. It wasn't so great. Like, you know, let me show you the advertisements for the, the products that they were buying and what they were paying for them. And let me show you what life expectancy was. Whatever you want to look at, right? Now, you know, look, we've talked about long term trends. There are real long term troubling trends, mm-hmm. right? In terms of loneliness, engagement in community, oh, yeah. feeling like I have a place in a community, right? Like, you know, I feel like that's one of the things that we've created a, a massive material wealth. And that material wealth does lead to people being better off mm-hmm. in terms of subjective well being and all that kinds of stuff. But there's this kind of ugly side over here of, Yeah. People who are isolated, they feel alone. They don't feel part of a community. They don't feel part of a neighborhood. You know, as I look at my own kids, right. You know, that's what I want them to find. I want them to find the thing that is like, that's where they get their confidence from because it's like, oh, I have this thing to offer. And you know, and that changes over the course of your life. But you know, how do you survive high school? You survive high school by having a thing where, you know, a community. I'm on this group and i have this to offer this ginger tribe and i and you know and that's the thing yeah. and you know we you know it's it's easy to look at high school as the microcosm of the well, yeah i want that too as an adult i want to have a role to play within some you know nebulous thing that i define as my community this is what i have to offer and you know i feel like yeah part of where things may actually be worse than they were and you know maybe this is what drives some of these findings sure is it's easy to take for granted all the things that are better, but I'm still feeling this kernel of something being worse. Mm. And for a lot of people, it may be that they're not feeling like they're a part of a community that they have a role, a value role sure. of contributing to. And so, you know, I mean, I don't want to dismiss and say, oh, yeah, everything's hunky dory. There is no problems, but it certainly is weird that things have gotten a lot better. And, you know, and some of the things in the survey, like, you know, are people trustworthy and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, real
0: character things.
1: Like, we actually have evidence that those haven't changed, right? And, you know, again, when you ask about their own friends and family, people will tell you that they're better. Uh, you know, the share of people saying that those are good are actually higher now. And yet, here we are soaking in a sea of negativity every day. Yep. And wandering around, and you know bumping into people or talking to surveyors and basically saying, the world's terrible.
0: Yeah. buddy of mine sent me a sticker for my coffee cup a couple of weeks ago that says, it gets worse before it gets worse. And that <laughs> kind of sums up our attitude in general. Um, before we go, I just want to take a brief moment to thank some important people on the podcast. Nick Mott, our editor and advisor extraordinaire and doer of a lot of things here at A New Angle, a dear friend and collaborator, is moving off of the team. He is leading up a new podcast effort um, at Montana Public Radio, so he will not be far. Keely Larson is stepping into Nick's role, and we have a new member of the team. Ella Hall will be coming on and doing some production as well. So thank you to those folks. You'll actually be hearing Nick's voice on this segment next month, so stay tuned for that. Bryce, thanks as always, and we'll see you down the road. Yep, see you guys next month. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a generous gift from UM alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. A New Angle is presented by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. With additional support from Consolidated Electrical Distributors, Drum Coffee, and Montana Public Radio. Keeley Larson is our producer. Ella Hall is our production assistant. VTO, Jeff Ament, and John Wicks made our music, and Jeff Meese is our master of all things sound. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.